Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our very first episode of 2021. I'm super sorry that we've had such a long delay in getting back to the program, but I'm going to make it up to you. Today, we have the Michael Jordan of body imaging. We have Dr. Brooke Jeffrey. Let that sink in. Dr. Brooke Jeffrey of Stanford University, recent SRU and SAR Lifetime Achievement Awards in 2016, as well as over 25 awards and honors. And those are just the ones listed on the Stanford website. I am sincerely grateful for his mentorship and all of his teaching. And he's here today to discuss flank pain. Hi, Dr. Jeffrey. Hi there, Lindsay. Hi, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Very well, thanks. Let's talk about flank pain today. I had some questions for you. Sure. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about your approach when someone comes in with flank pain to the ED? Sure. And just to step back a bit, uh, I think it's useful to think in terms of regional areas of interest. We often talk about right upper quadrant pain, and right lower quadrant pain. Uh, Flank pain is a a little more amorphous. And so I think that uh, it has a broader uh, differential. And uh, we'll see, you know, if you have a lateral retrocecal appendix, uh, you may present with flank pain. So it's not necessarily uh, just a GU phenomenon. So a a lot depends on the pretest probability and the clinical assessment. You know, that's going to be both the physical examination, the urinalysis, uh, et cetera. But let's just say for the sake of argument that the clinicians have evaluated a patient and it's a likely GU uh, source of the flank pain. And so, you know, based on what we're thinking in terms of pretest probability, we're we're thinking of uh, ureteral stone, uh, an acute uh, obstruction causing the flank pain. Um, you can, you'll get different opinions about this, but I, I will just share my approaches that uh, I think in younger patients with this kind of uh, clinical presentation, it's fine to look uh, with ultrasound as the primary modality, recognizing its limitations, and that you are doing this primarily to spare the patient the radiation uh, burden. And that's something that we encounter with uh, ultrasound all the time. We accept a lower sensitivity of ultrasound for appendicitis, for example, in younger patients because we want to spare them the radiation. So I feel somewhat similar to uh, flank pain as to I do as to rule out appendicitis. Uh, and, and the real areas of difficulty for ultrasound, uh, we often struggle with seeing areas of uh, parenchymal infection, pilo in the kidney, pyelonephritis. And we often don't see stones in the mid to distal ureter. But that said, some of the very useful things uh, just in general about flank pain, always to ask the patient to point with a single finger where they hurt. And so what comes billed as flank pain from the ED may, in fact, be more of a pain over McBurney's point. So you always want to begin by having that localization and have the technologist be very clear. Well, where do you hurt? You will scan that area, but it may be a clue to an alternative diagnosis. Uh, so let's talk about the most common thing, acute 
uh, ureteral uh, colic, uh, a stone in, in the ureter. It may be that we don't see the direct imaging finding of the stone, but we might see it as a manifestation of the alteration or asymmetry of the ureteral jets. So I think hydrating the patient so that they can produce enough ureteral peristalsis is key. Usually this isn't a problem in the ED. A lot of times they will have already have an IV and even with uh, you know analgesics, uh, et cetera. But you know, if, if the uh, ureteral jets are perfectly robust and symmetric, that puts the probability uh, of a ureteral stone far down the list. Uh, now, there can be variations depending upon the completeness of the obstruction. If, for example, there is a partial obstruction, the ureteral jet may be diminished. It may be more a constant sort of a drip, drip, drip rather than a, a bolus of peristalsis. So any asymmetry uh, is very helpful in that regard. So the standard thing of imaging the kidney uh, you know, is, is pretty routine. We want to look at longitudinal transfer scans. But I also want to include in part of scanning technique the concept of coronal scanning, where you come through the flank, and this is exactly what we do to look for the retrocecal appendix, because it's often the case that from an anterior approach, you really can't see the mental distal ureter. But coming in from a flank approach, you often can. Uh, and you can often see the ureter as it crosses, let's say, over the psoas muscle going into the pelvis. So in addition to the routine scans of the kidney, think about coronal scans uh, in the mid to uh, through the flank by putting the patient in the opposite of blight and then coming through in the coronal plane. Uh, and, and obviously for women, looking uh, with an endovaginal probe is very useful if there is a distal ureteral calculus that's hidden by bowel gas. So scanning through the bladder, uh, looking for jets, but also looking for distal stones, using the EV probe. Uh, there are a lot of tricks uh, to the game. Uh, there are some proponents, uh, or devotees, I should say, by, of actually measuring the resistive indices, uh, segmental renal arteries, and uh, there, there is a body of literature that says the resistive index goes up if there is a, a relatively high-grade obstruction of the kidney. And while that is probably true, uh, I think that will also be reflected in the, uh, the ureteral jet as well. So, you know, it, making a diagnosis with ultrasound is often like a lawyer presenting a case. You continually have to build on the evidence. So let's say you have a diminished or asymmetric jet in one kidney. And let's say that the resistive index is slightly elevated. And let's say there's just a little bit of hydro. Uh, all those factors raise the stakes for a, a probability of a, a ureteral calculus that you just can't see. And uh, then, of course, you can go on. You could do something like an MRI, even in a pregnant patient, or you could do a low-dose CT if uh, you know, it's an adult patient and you're somewhat less uh, concerned about uh, the radiation. So while it's fine to start with ultrasound in a younger population, uh, you know, I think if you're 50 years old and you present with flank pain, um, I, I, I'm perfectly fine with going right to a CT scan in that. And in part because I think the differential diagnosis now is more complicated once uh, we approach middle age. 
And I think that, you know, similarly with ultrasound as the primary modality in young patients, once we get to middle age, 50 and older, the differential diagnosis now includes things like neoplasm. And I think having a more global uh, view of the, the anatomy is much, uh, much has a lot to recommend it. So I, I feel uh, less strongly about using ultrasound in, in people, you know, after about the age of 45 or 50. What about the, the theory that contrast obscures the stone? I hear that a lot from emergency room physicians. Can you comment on the use of IV contrast? Yeah, I don't think that that's true at all. I, I think that, you know, depending upon the phase, if you're just talking about our standard portal venous phase, uh, there isn't usually a lot of contrast in the collecting system. And if, in fact, there is a stone, uh, there will be a delay in excretion. So uh, I, I, I'm, I think that theory is, is not valid at all. And the IV contrast helps you to see areas of pyelonephritis. It also helps you to see neoplasms. It also helps to see al al alternative vascular pathology. So, you know, again, if you have an extremely high pretest probability in terms of the clinical and laboratory findings, you know, it's okay to do a low-dose CT without contrast. But if you're unsure of the diagnosis, I think there's a lot to recommend uh, using IV contrast because now you can see a whole host of other problems that you won't be able to diagnose. Uh, and look, if there is a stone, there won't be excretion into that kidney. And at, during the portal vetus phase, generally there isn't a lot of contrast in the ureter at all normally. That's why we do the delayed excretory phase. You know, Stanford's one of the few places that does these routinely, uh, and that that will show the asymmetry to better advantage, but it also will enable you to see uh, with parenchymal opacification, not just in the cortical medullary phase, but you'll see pilo better, you'll see renal neoplasms uh, better. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think IV contrast is a, at all a problem, particularly in patients where you're not really that sure of the diagnosis. And what about the Hounsfield units? Can you use that to kind of characterize a stone type? Yeah, I mean, we use that to look for urate stones, and we use that, you know, for, for different kinds of stone analysis. And that's a whole another discussion because we can get into, uh, you know, the tissue characterization, the stone characterization, uh, you know, and that, that may be important if, if you're going to treat urate stones, for example. But I, I think for the ED physician, they just want to know, is there a stone or not a stone and uh, what the diagnosis is. Um, and, you know, characterizing the stone is more of a, a downstream urologic thing where, you know, they're thinking of drug therapy or lithotripsy. And, and obviously, attenuation values are, are going to, uh, you know, be critical here. And that's, that's a subject of a whole other uh, discussion. But if we're talking about acute flank pain, um, I mean, you know, you can make an argument that perhaps we've underutilized MR. And with MR urography, maybe we should be doing that more often. I think it's more an issue in the middle of the night, what's available, ultrasound and CT. And while it's fine for, you know, young patients, young adults to start with ultrasound, as long as you re recognize the limitations, uh, then you can, uh, you, know, you know, not get into trouble. Uh, there are times when it's just better to just go right off the bat with CT. And to your earlier point, just go right off the bat with contrast enhanced CT if you're really not exactly quite sure of the diagnosis. 
And what does the urologist want to know from our report? What should our, you know, newly uh, on-call second years be writing? What should be, what, what communication should we be conveying? So in the patients with stones, the key is the location of the stone and the size. You know, distal stones in general can be managed more conservatively, pain medication, hydration, hydration, and sort of the, uh, the magic number is around five millimeters. Most stones, five millimeters or less, are going to pass spontaneously. You know, stones, each millimeter is like a standard deviation. When you get to, you know, like seven, eight millimeters, now we're, now the urologist is thinking more likely than not, I'm going to either have to, to use instrumentation or lithotripsy or some other, some other therapy. And I might be thinking in terms of pain control, having to do a percutaneous nephrostomy. So, the size and location of the stones are really the uh, the key drivers, and that five millimeter number is good. And uh, uh, you know, in maximum dimension, uh, so so those are some of the basic things that the urologist wants to know. Obviously, if there's any sign of upstream uh, infection, there where there might be pyonephrosis, many many times that's clinically apparent. The patients are often diabetic; they may have high fever. Uh, there may be, you know, a, a, a toxic clinical presentation. But if we're seeing areas of pilo, uh, then, you know, that's, that's very important for the urologist to know if there's an associated obstruction. Now we're, now we're really getting into uh, emergency uh, therapy with PERCNEFs per uh, to try to manage the patient uh, uh, in, in that regard. I would love to spend an entire episode on interventions with you. I know you have quite the interventional background, um, but a resident wanted me to bring up XGP. And if you could quickly comment on that topic. Right. Xanthogranulomatous pyelonephritis uh, is a chronic granulomatous response to low-grade infection of the kidney that's related to a chronic low-grade pyelonephrosis, usually related to specific organ organisms that, uh, you know, low-grade infection. And the kidney produces a lot of fat. And so the xantho in Latin, I'm sorry, it's in Greek means yellow. And uh, it, it produces this protuberance of fat and these lipid-laden macrophages that are uh, related to the chronic uh, inflammation. So the patients tend to have chronic pyonephrosis with a large staghorn calculus, and the kidney eventually becomes non-functional, and the area of the parenchyma gets replaced by all these necrotic areas filled with this grumous lipid-laden material. It can necessitate through the abdominal wall. It can present as a flank mass. And so the classic findings uh, are a... Uh, a staghorn calculus, the renal pelvis uh, over, over months uh, develops a fibrotic reaction around the staghorn, and so the, the, the collecting system is obliterated, and the area of the parenchyma uh, is replaced by these necrotic cystic spaces. But there are often abscesses of the perirenal space or areas of fistula to the colon, for example, or necessitating to the abdominal wall. So it's almost like a uh, locally invasive kind of chronic infection. And so the staghorn calculus, non-functioning kidney, all these sort of uh, uh, cystic spaces in the parenchyma, and uh, be on the lookout for uh, 
you know, these, these areas of uh, fistulization, particularly to the colon. And CT is definitely the way to go uh, because it'll show you all the retroperitoneal anatomy. I wouldn't want to try to, uh, you know, completely characterize that with ultrasound. So, you know, CT, if you're, if you're suspecting that from a patient who's had chronic flank pain. So that's another subject matter altogether. Chronic flank pain, you know, uh, includes things like neoplasm and XGP and other chronic infections, TB, for example. So in that setting, I think that's, that's sort of beyond the purview of ultrasound. We, we really want to go right to CT, do a non-contrast, then contrast sort of our CT-IVP workup in that setting. That's awesome, Dr. Jeffrey. Thanks, thanks so much. I'm calling this segment uh, flank pain in 15 minutes or less. So thank you so much. Okay, great to see you, Lindsay. Thank you. Okay, great, great to care. see you as well. All right.